Well, welcome everyone to this edition of our BELLS Brief Chats podcast series. Um, BELLS stands for British Educated Life Scientists, a global community of life science leaders across the planet who share a common trait, having previously been variously touched by the UK education system and now finding themselves in various aspects of the global life science scene, be they in academia, industry, finance, etc. Today, we are delighted to welcome Professor Gillian Leng to our Bell's Brief Chat. Jill is the CEO of the UK's National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, better known, of course, as NICE. Uh, welcome, Jill. Good to be here. So perhaps we can start um, a quick overview of your formative years, where you grew up, early career, and uh, what led you to NICE. Great. Okay. Well... I grew up in, in Monmouthshire in South Wales, and then my parents moved to Yorkshire, and um, I had a, an interesting experience at, at a grammar school. Part of that move to Yorkshire, I went to Harrogate Grammar School, great, great grammar school. However, mm -hmm. girls went off to bio, do biology and boys went off to do physics. And the reason for mentioning that was that did then determine how long it took me to go to medical school without a physics O-level. And there's a long story that I won't go into, but, but that was part of, <laughs> part of what, <clears throat> what made my, my career what it was, I think, that experience. Mm -hmm. So when I eventually got to medical school, two key things that, that impacted on me. One was the need for better prevention services. At the time, there were lots and lots of people pitching up in hospital with heart attacks and it, it just seems so obvious that we should be better at preventing heart disease so my career sort of that led me into public health was influenced by those experiences is that when I was a junior doctor but the other thing was the need for evidence to underpin all of this and I was a junior doctor on an orthopedic ward where there were three different consultants that I worked for and they all had different regimes for preventing deep vein thrombosis and they all said they were evidence-based and of course they'd all read different bits of evidence, different trials. Um, so I, I was thinking surely, surely there should be one answer, there should be one interpretation of this evidence. Anyway, when I was then uh, a researcher in, in Edinburgh, I did a, an MD at Edinburgh University, uh, the Cochrane collaboration was being established. And you can imagine those, those thoughts that I'd had as a junior doctor suddenly gelled in the idea of the Cochrane collaboration, bringing the evidence together. And so I did quite a lot in Edinburgh in the Cochrane Group on Peripheral Vascular Diseases and mm -hmm. I began to get involved in guidelines while I was in Scotland. They had, they had, uh, have had for many years the sign guidelines and I, I was lucky enough to get involved in, in a few sign guidelines. So those things were really important to me. So when NICE was established, I thought, well, that's great. That brings together all these things I care about, evidence, guidelines, making a difference. So, yeah. I applied and I was lucky enough to be appointed as the director of the guidelines program. Right. So <clears throat> while many of our listeners will know something about NICE, um, perhaps can you tell us a little bit about the history of NICE and why it got formed and, and maybe what it replaced, etc. Well, NICE was established uh, in 1999 
by the newish Labour government at, at that point. And mm -hmm. lots of people were involved in the thinking around why do we need an organisation like NICE? It was formally launched by the health minister at the time, Frank Dobson, with a brief to increase the uptake of cost-effective new products <clears throat> and to reduce the postcode lottery. And there, there was quite a lot of media interest at the time in the postcode lottery because there were regional uh, organisations at the time, I can't remember what they were called, but they were charged with looking at whether new drugs were value for money and whether they should be funded in a local healthcare system. So you really could pre-NICE, be able to receive a new drug if you lived on one side of the street and potentially not on the other side of the street. And that was very, very unpopular. So a number of things coming together to, to drive forwards the idea of doing this work nationally rather than locally or regionally. So the launch of NICE in 1999 with the drive to look at the effectiveness and cost effectiveness of, of new technologies. And we took on the work to develop guidelines that prior to NICE was partially funded through some of the Royal Colleges. So there was some early work around that that NICE then took forwards nationally. And it was that guidelines work that I was asked to, to lead. It was exciting times. I bet. And, um... I think it's fair to characterise NICE very much as a, a, a process-driven organisation. Um, but how do you jive that with the constant challenge of transitioning an internal culture that has to embrace greater flexibility, greater adaptability um, in today's world? Do, do you constantly have to infuse new talent, um, work out which, which um, personnel can move along in that sort of environment? Um, how do you how do you address that challenge? Yeah, really important question. And just looking back again for a moment, of course, when NICE started, we didn't come with a process. We yeah. weren't given that process or that manual. So, as I said, it was exciting because we had to work all of that through, uh, both a, a, a manual for how we did guidelines and all the work around evaluating technologies, it, it sort of evolved at the beginning with very early processes, a lot of case law from the decisions that were taken around where was the threshold. But you're right that after 20 plus years as an organization, we've now got a clear process that underpins all our work. And it sometimes feels it sometimes feels as though that's the Bible. That's what we work to. But you're right. We have to. We have to keep evolving, and we have to mm -hmm. respond to changes in the external environment. And that's why last year we launched a new strategy. Spent a lot of time listening to key opinion leaders nationally and internationally, and informed the strategy. And the strategy has been quite clear that we need to continue to evolve and develop. And part of that is very much about bringing in new staff, new people with new ideas mm -hmm. um, and working with external partners and looking at where we need to change. And part of that change will be evolving those 
those manuals that, that we work to. Now, having a process is important for an organisation that can end up in judicial review. We need to be clear how we do our work and we need to engage partners, particularly industry, other colleagues in the life sciences world, around how we do it. So the consultation during that process is really, really important. So there's, there's a whole number of things, you know, how we work internally, as well as, as well as what we actually do, what changes do we make? And you're probably aware that, that we have over the last 18 months or so, been looking at our methods and processes for evaluating new drugs, other medical technologies. It's been a two-stage consultation process and we are due to publish that updated manual um, at the end of this month. So, so yeah, we're almost at the end of this month, almost due to publish it. Right. And then obviously that's got, to, I mean, trust is so central to, to all that sort of work. So there's got to be an obvious um, constant emphasis on building trust, but equally you've got a whole bunch of stakeholders uh, involved in, in NICE's work, whether it's the public, health system, industry. Um, presumably that's quite a challenge of managing that. Yes, and of course there was no trust at the very start of NICE, yeah. trust has to be earned, doesn't it? You yeah. have to, yeah. have to uh, take your stakeholders on a journey with you and earn that trust. And I think one of the important things about why NICE is now trusted is because we did everything in an open and transparent way. We can be scrutinized. There's no, no black box at NICE. Mm -hmm. And that openness has been one of the reasons why we've gained not just a national but an international reputation because people can scrutinize the work that we've that we've done. So I think openness and transparency is core to trust. We have an open consultation and we respond to the consultation comments. Sometimes we change our minds. <clears throat> And sometimes that's described as nice has done a U-turn. However, <laughs> you know, I, I would argue that that is a very positive, yes, a positive yes. sign of listening and taking notice. Because again, if you, you know, if you go through all the, the detailed process, you do a thorough job, and you never, you never respond to consultation comments, and always think you've got it right first time. I think that's a, a huge risk and a sign of, of an organisation that, that, that's arrogant in its approach. And, and NICE has always tried to be responsive and listen to our partners and our stakeholders. And you know, now after 20 plus years, we are very much seen as providing a gold standard. Now, alongside being a gold standard, sometimes we've been criticised for being too slow. It's because we've had this thorough process, very thorough, of delving into the detail and consulting and listening. But uh, part of the new strategy is, is designed to make us more flexible and responsive and quicker in some of the work that we do. So it's, a, it's potentially a difficult thing to juggle because we don't want to lose the trust. We don't want to lose our reputation for being high quality. But we know in, in the modern world that sometimes things need to be done much more quickly and people expect a rapid review of the evidence. 
Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, as obviously having been involved myself in the industry for so long, I've certainly observed a softening in terms of the attitude towards NICE. I mean, there are still what I would term Neanderthals out there who still think it's the devil. and uh, <laughs> But that has has changed. And, and, and plus, you know, that whole thing about building trust, I think, has come about because it's 20-odd years, et cetera. Um, mm. People have got used to each other. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and the clarity of, of having a process that means that everybody does know how it's going to work and the various stages. And the more the more that we build into the process, the ability to have early conversations with, with yeah, industry yeah. and manufacturers, that is much better because one of the things I often say is the best surprise is no surprise. And that absolutely applies to the assessment of evidence for new technologies you know we we need to talk to to companies about our expectations of the evidence that they will bring and the data that they will give us so they understand how we're going to do our assessment and that uh, the clearer that is and the earlier that engagement happens the, the better I, I was quite um, astonished, actually, to, to, to sort of read uh, somewhere that you currently have, uh, I think it's around 400 guidelines uh, in place, and understand that uh, I, NICE is heading to what you term as living guidelines. Can you um, just tell us a bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, this speaks to the comment I made, I made just now about um, about needing to reassess evidence much more quickly an expectation of, of our partners and our audiences that, that, that we do things more speedily. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I set up the guidelines programme back in 2001, there was an expectation that we might manage to keep about 50 guidelines um, up to date. And the enthusiasm for the work that we do on, in our guidelines programme means, as you said, we've now got about 400 guidelines. And if mm -hmm. you like, that's almost a textbook of medicine, isn't it? It's yeah. a massive contribution to healthcare nationally and internationally. You know, the, the work that's set out in our guidelines really, really does and has changed clinical practice they can be criticised for not changing clinical practice fast enough. However, take, take the time horizon away and they have changed clinical practice. And there's very much an expectation of junior doctors that they refer to up-to-date <coughs> guidelines, especially nice guidelines. So mm -hmm. living guidelines are, are about rapid updating. And this is very much what we did during the pandemic. So you, you might or might not be aware that in, in the standard model, a big guideline topic, say around depression or um, antenatal care, will take about two years to produce because of the volume of evidence. We didn't have two years during the pandemic. No. <laughs> and indeed, we also didn't have a volume of evidence to assess. Not surprisingly, it was all new. There wasn't much to go on but clearly clinicians needed to have advice. They needed guidelines on, on how do we deal with this? What does this mean for existing conditions? What does it mean for treating COVID itself? How do we handle long COVID? All of those questions needed quick answers. So we did some uh, 
we did a whole program of rapid guidelines during the pandemic and these have been kept up to date as living guidelines since then because there wasn't much evidence at the beginning but it's been gradually accumulating and one of the great things that we saw during the pandemic was was international and national collaboration so we worked mm -hmm. closely internally with colleagues in the NIHR National Institute for Health Research the MHRA NHS England and with international colleagues so a fantastic pooling of the evidence base fantastic input from experts to develop these rapid guidelines. And the guideline community around the world is very clear that the future is living guidelines. And without being too technical, to have a living guideline, you need a good digital platform. Sounds a bit dull, that to say, doesn't it? A digital platform. However, <laughs> you need the, the structure that the guideline sits on to let you update it, to let you add the new trials in rapidly, ideally to rapidly look at the, the, the data to give you new confidence intervals, to let you then tweak or ch radically change recommendations as that information's coming out. So again, there's a need for guideline developers internationally to work together on this platform to collaborate around sharing evidence because there's an expectation that we shouldn't wait anymore. We shouldn't be waiting five years to update that guideline. We should just be able to integrate the evidence more quickly. So it's it's a really exciting time. And I think that the, the pandemic has very much uh, shown a spotlight, shone a spotlight even on the importance of, of guidelines. And part, yeah. part of, just, just one more thing, part of the importance of living guidelines and the rapid updating is to integrate new technologies into the guideline pathway. At the moment, NICE does that, but not, not as quickly as we think we should. So we have our portfolio of 400 guidelines, but we also have a long, 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 long set of guidance where we've recommended new drugs and new technologies. And it's really important for frontline practitioners that the recommendations that we've made in our technology appraisals get put in the pathway quickly as the main front-facing, clinically-facing resource for the frontline. And I think, I think that's important for patient care, but it will also, by doing that, will also speed up adoption, I hope, because there won't be, there won't be any difficulty in seeing where those new products should fit in the care pathway. Yeah, and, and given that sheer volume of new products and technologies, and then you add in uh, the the advent of the digital space, um, has do you feel that the international international dimension in terms of cooperation is just going to become increasingly a bigger factor? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I hope that we will build on the great collaboration during the pandemic and work together because there are there are many many new products on the horizon many new exciting digital products and of course there are products that are that are clearly digital they're, they're apps that might sit on a smartphone but mm -hmm. other devices diagnostics and and even medicines have digital elements 
and will continue to do so, draw perhaps on, on elements of artificial intelligence. So knowing how to take all of, all of those new factors into account is really important and really quite challenging. So working on some of the methods for assessing artificial intelligence, for assessing digital products, needs international collaboration and uh, international, um, international efforts to work out mm -hmm. how we should do this. So again, it's an exciting, it's exciting time. So there's partly the methods, but there's also let's let's look at the volume of new products. Let's work together on horizon scanning and let's work out which of these products are going to be most influential in terms of patient care and clinical need. And, th and then your, your thoughts on real world evidence, uh, which seemingly is driving a revolution in healthcare decision making and addressing inequalities. Mm. <clears throat> One of the things that I've I've put in place at NICE is a new directorate specifically to help us with the challenge of using real world evidence. It's uh, called a directorate of science, evidence and analytics. So we are increasing our capacity and capability around using real world evidence. So that's partly about understanding what a good analysis looks like so that we're clear it's high enough quality to inform our decision making but also to help us set some of the questions to define the parameters that we think we need uh, to do our evaluations because we we can't we, we absolutely can't do this on our own we need to work with academic partners and we need to work with industry because of course some of these products digital products particularly they generate data inherently and so there's a very natural feedback loop where we might use data that the products have collected to inform updates to our our advice so it it, it it very much is driving a revolution, but we need to be clear about the standards, the framework for using this evidence. And that at the moment is a key contribution that I think NICE is making to this, to this field. So uh, it, it's really important. It's really important to make, to, to help us do our job, to help us update these guidelines rapidly that I've been talking about, but also to help get some of these products out there for patient care sooner rather than later. And there's a phrase that we often use called contingent approval, which means that there might be a new device, there might be a new digital product that looks promising, that's got a reasonable amount of data. We know it's, it's safe, but if you like, its effectiveness in the system isn't proven. So what we'd like to do is to give a contingent approval subject to ongoing real world data collection. Then it, it gets the go ahead to be used in the system and we will then look at the data that's collected uh, over a year or two years and can then do a more thorough evaluation of the impact that it's had. And that approach around contingent approval isn't new we've been following that approach as part of the cancer drugs fund over the last few years where cancer drugs go into the cancer drugs fund if we think they're promising but we know we need more data and then the data collection happens over a period of two years and i think i think it's a really powerful way of um not not stifling innovation 
but allowing things forward with the caveat that we collect new data as part of that process. Mm -hmm. uh, just going back to COVID and, and obviously um, it was, it's been hugely and continues to be hugely disruptive in so many ways, but it's also, as, as we've alluded to, sped up change. Um, what impact do you see that it's made on NICE, both good and bad? Well, the good thing was the collaboration with colleagues and the collaboration internationally. That, that's been fantastic, fantastic yeah. sharing. Um, it's also shown us how we can develop living guidelines, how we can do that quickly. So lots and lots of good stuff that my, my team is working hard to capitalize on because what we need to now do moving forwards is take the best of all of that and work yeah. it in routine ways of working. Of course, though, like, like everybody else, COVID did have an impact on how we work. We suddenly, almost overnight it felt, became a company of home workers, which was a bit of a challenge. I, I took over as chief executive on the 1st of April, so right in the beginning of that first lockdown. And, and we had great IT support. And so like everybody else rapidly realized that we could do things digitally, we could see our colleagues and it wasn't the end of the world, but it was quite a difficult transition to also do our job of running committees. You know, could, could we make committees work virtually? What would that do in terms of decision-making? How are people going to be involved? How would we develop relationships? Because our independent advisory committees are a core part of how we work. And of course, some of them are practicing clinicians. Were they going to be dragged away uh, right, rightfully onto the front line? So lots of things that we had to, to work through and it did cause a bit of um, a bit of a hiatus in some of our decision making. But by and large, we discovered that virtual committees have a lot of benefits. They don't they don't do everything that we need. And I think as human beings, we're realizing the importance of face to face interaction, aren't we? In, in mm -hmm. the way that it builds networks, it builds trust, it builds, it builds all sorts of positive things about our relationship with each other and how we work. So moving forwards, we will definitely keep some virtual committees. It's yep. often, yep. often more effective and more efficient and will clearly help with, with putting living guidelines together. But we'd also know that we need to give committees some face-to-face -face time too. And just returning to the digital space briefly, how has NICE adapted to um, this increasingly digital world, uh, both in, <clears throat> internally as an organisation in terms of issues such as skills, uh, but also to a changing healthcare environment? Well, I think we've adapted really well to the virtual workplace. However, there is quite a lot that we need to do to improve how NICE works as a digital mm -hmm place and we've actually got a, a digital workplace program underway as part of our of our transformation and that's to make us more efficient at how we internally share data at how we share uh, the evaluations that we might have done of, of research trials and how we use internally artificial intelligence to speed up some of our processes and indeed we we already do in terms of sifting through lots of 
trials on a particular topic. Machine learning is already helping us do that. Machine learning is helping us identify where there are recommendations that need to be updated. So we are using a whole lot of uh, new digital technologies in our work, but of course there's, there's much more, much more to do. And we, we also need to respond to what's happening externally in the, in the workplace. Um, we're very, very close to the ideas and the thinking around learning healthcare systems. Takes us back, doesn't it, to real world data and online data collection, because part of the vision is having living guidelines in a digital format that can easily then integrate into healthcare IT systems. And, and in the ideal world, there is then the feedback loop of the data that's being collected in the healthcare system back to NICE to check whether our assumptions through the formal research that we originally looked at are actually holding out in real life practice. Mm -hmm. No, we're going back to a subject on, on the whole international side and the, and the mobilization of relationships with industry. So both NICE and the MHRA are active, actively seeking early engagement with industry, um, providing what's been called a lit runway for industry. Uh, this includes your Office for Market Access, PharmaScan, uh, provision of scientific advice and the ILAC program. Um, I've long been a proponent that, that the, the health, <clears throat> healthy volume of dialogue between industry, academia and government in the UK, a so-called holy trinity, is a very distinct advantage for the UK when it comes to creating an attractive environment for the likes of members of our Bells community to take advantage of. Um, could you expand on this and in particular the ILAP scheme, which is I think really caught the imagination of quite a few people. Yeah, it, it's really important. I absolutely support what you've said about early engagement with industry. I think I said earlier, the best surprise is no surprise. We all need to understand what we're trying yeah. to achieve and make it happen as smoothly and efficiently as possible. And it, it, it matters for for healthcare, it matters for industry, but it really matters for patients. I just, just need to emphasize that actually, mm -hmm. because, because often, often at NICE, <clears throat> we deal with uncertainty. And in fact, that's one of the one of the challenges. The earlier that you look at products in their life cycle, there's chances are that you have less data. So there's uncertainty, and our committees need to take that into account and the opportunity to have some contingent approval, be that the Innovative Medicine Scheme or the Cancer Drugs Fund really helps. But of course, it matters to patients. And my husband sadly died last year of lung cancer. And there's lots of new drugs coming through the pipeline for lung cancer. But when you're the patient, you know, you really, you really are looking hard at when are those drugs going to come? Might they be suitable for me? How long is it going to take? And when your life expectancy is limited, that time really, really matters. And my husband benefited from some of those new drugs and hopefully in the future, there'll be better options for people. But when you see it through patient's eyes, it really, really matters. And over the years, lots of initiatives have already come on stream. So if I think back, to how NICE worked in its early days with limited engagement with industry, it has already evolved 
in many ways. You talked about the Office for Market Access. We've got PharmaScan. We've got our scientific advice program. So lots and lots has already changed. But ILAP, yeah. the Innovative Licensing Access Pathway, is, is a great new program adding in to all of that work that we've already put in place. And it's good to see that we've awarded um, the, the, um, the new passport to quite a number of products. Mm -hmm. We need to continue to build on that early success. And I've been talking, as have many colleagues with the MHRA about jointly how we do this well, so that we're selecting, we're clear, we're selecting the right products and that we've got the whole program knitted together because it's a licensing and access pathway. So it needs nice to be able to rapidly do an evaluation, possibly with that contingent approval, working with NHS England to get something funded out in the system with ongoing data collection. But it's really important. It's really important to, to capitalise on great new innovations, to get them to patients and to get the data. Yeah. Uh, you you became you were nice only nicest second CEO after Andrew Dillon, um, and then the untimely death of your husband seemingly has forced a reevaluation of your priorities, and that led you to announce your imminent retirement from Nice and to be replaced by Samantha Roberts. Um, bluntly, what next for Gillian Lang? <laughs> Yes, it's 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 been rather a challenging couple of year couple of years. Uh, mm. uh, I've been at Nice for over twenty years, and the last couple of years as chief exec have been fantastic, but also challenging. You know, challenging with all the stuff around the pandemic, although a lot yeah. of that was was exciting, and challenging with with uh, my husband's illness. So one one of the things I really do want to do uh, as I leave Nice is to finish my husband's book he wrote a book about his work in public health but he didn't finish it so I need to take a look at that and do what I can to try and get that published so that that's priority number one but I'm also going to continue my work with the guidelines international network and other things that I do in the evidence sphere and it, it's I'm flattered by many many approaches that I've had from a range of different sectors over the last few months with suggestions and offers of things that I might do and so uh, my next step is to work through that and to find a clear plan moving forwards but you know, I what, I care about, what, what I care about won't change you know improving healthcare, using evidence yeah. and, and the environment all those things are in the mix and I understand a little more painting as well <laughs> a little more painting if I can yes yeah <laughs> Uh, and so let's close. Um, just any final message for um, the Bells community uh, and your impressions of Bells and, and how you see it being important to the UK? Well, I, I think it's strategically really important. And, and if we could do more to promote its, its function and its value to the UK, I think that would be, that would be great because the UK has a huge reputation in the life sciences world and, uh, and a great international reputation. So Bells provides a, a, a wonderful springboard for, for communicating about that and for working across a range of partnerships. So let's, let's see if we can do more to, to promote the UK's role. Well, Jill, thank you very much 
for for this conversation. Uh, all I can say is you will be missed. But <laughs> we, we look with interest to see what what sort you get up to in the next few years. Yes, do do. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Take care. Thank you.